0: professional wargaming? Are you telling me I could have been getting paid this whole time? My guest and I are both affiliated with the U.S. Army. All of the opinions and observations are our own. Our views do not represent those of the U.S. Army or Department of Defense. We are not speaking in an official capacity. This is the Veteran Wargamer. This is the Veteran Wargamer. I am your host, Jay Arnold. In this episode, episode 44, I speak with Mr. Shane Perkins about professional wargaming and the U.S. Army's Command and General Staff College. Shane, how are you doing today? Good. How are you? I am, I am doing well. I'm really excited to talk to you. Uh, I've got a lot of questions about professional wargaming and CGSC and all that. But first, I'm going to ask you the same question I ask all of my first-time guests, and that is, what makes you a veteran wargamer?
1: I don't know that I would consider myself a veteran wargamer. Uh, if you're saying veteran from number of years, then it's sort of been a hobby of mine uh, for over the last 10 years or so. Uh, if you want to call a veteran gamer of using it uh, to help you in your daily sort of job, uh, is what my job is, then I would consider myself a veteran because uh, it's just a great tool to always sort of relearn some lessons and uh, apply new lessons. Uh, if you sort of understand it yourself, then it's a little bit easier to uh, help instruct students.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned that you did wargaming on a, on a hobby basis for about 10 years. What what type of wargaming do you, do you pursue as a hobby?
1: Uh, I'm say most recently uh war in the pacific admiral's edition i've been uh actively uh participating playing in that one for about the last uh five to six years uh the operational art of war uh, pick a version uh as it keeps getting updated um so Mm -hmm. interest for me really is in historical uh civil war world war one world war two sort of uh, of that genre I, I don't really care very much for sort of the first person uh, gamer uh, that type just just not not of mm-hmm. interest to me.
0: Sure sure now I'm not familiar with those titles right off the right off the bat are those computer games? then?
1: Yes yes okay yes uh, okay. and I've done some board gaming uh, but that's really only sort of Worked my way into that uh, here, to, here at here uh, at Command and General Staff College in about the last two to three years. Um, since we have a directorate there, in, in the, uh called the Directorate of Simulation Education, that's one of the things that they offer. Uh, so as mm-hmm. an instructor, it's it's just imagine it's a it's a cool sort of support entity that you can go down to, and they've got the expertise and generally the right tool for the right job, uh, whether it's an analog simulation board game or if it's a, a digital computer-based game.
0: Okay. All righty. And um, do you have any military experience then?
1: Uh, yes. Prior military uh, Yes. I'm a retired uh, lieutenant colonel uh, from the Army. I was an armor officer uh, while I was on active duty. I retired in 2016 after about 24 years, almost 24 years of total service.
0: Oh, great. All righty. Well, I think... I think what we really need to talk about first is what is it meant by professional wargaming?
1: In my opinion, uh, what a professional wargaming is, is any type of simulation, again, analog or digital, that allows a user to develop their plan, put their plan into, you know, whether it's on the board, into the computer. Uh, and let it play out and does it model the decisions uh, that you're going to have to make as a military commander uh, and you sort of get to see the consequences uh, of that come out. Uh, it doesn't necessarily always have to be military. Uh, it can be anything as long as sort of associated with with a good decision making process that you' that you understand that sometimes you can make the greatest plan you can have exactly the right amount of odds and, you know, so to speak, and you roll the dice and you get that one in 10 chance that bad things happen. Cause that's, that's, that's reality of life there. Um,
0: yeah. That's Murphy for you. Sure. Okay. Now, specifically, uh, you mentioned not necessarily military. Have you, have, have you had any experience exploring either civilian or corporate applications uh, of Wargaming?
1: No, I I have not, uh, not personally. Uh, I've got a couple of friends uh, that have moved on to the corporate world after they retired. They've they've you know, done a smaller smaller versions of a, of a couple of things, um, you know that they've told me about in passing. Uh, but I think, you know, we we had a uh, a group uh, within the college in the last two years uh, that. I basically developed a paper uh, and did a study uh, that identified that using a type of war game um, methodology or, or in practice, I should say, actually helps you visualize what is going to happen. And if you're visualizing the potentials that are out there, you're going to be a better decision maker. So Whether you're in the Mm -hmm. academic world, corporate world, military, uh, any type of simulation modeling that you can do, as long as it remains as sort of your topic that you're in, it will help you visualize and understand all the possible ranges of outcomes, which should just make you, in general, a better decision maker.
0: Now, you mentioned uh, modeling Mm -hmm. decision-making practices and, and systems. Do you find that... Is, is it more important that you model the result or is it more important that you model the process? And, and by that, I mean, I guess it's really, you know, to, to borrow a pat phrase from, from the military, I guess it's met TC dependent, right? It depends on what the objective of the game is, right? Cause you could definitely have a, a process oriented war game where you're trying to model specific, uh, Specific portions of the military decision-making process. Sure. Right?
1: So, yeah, let me address that. So, just a little bit of context uh, for those that that are you know listening to this that are in in the military. You've got arm the, for the army the military decision-making process. There's a step in that that it that we formally call course of action analysis. It is generally referred to though as wargaming, which is a step within it, uh, and that, we have a very, we have a, a doctrinal method that we would do for wargaming where you've laid out your plan, you've set both units down on the map or both sides down on your map, uh, and you have whoever has the initiative, then they they put their actions into place, then the opposing force puts its reactions into place, then that initial force, the, the force of the initiative, then, then does its counter actions. And that, what that process should do is really on the science side of things is you've accounted for the entire range of operations and you've optimized a solution which is that course of action that you can then compare to another one which you'd run through the same process so Mm -hmm. for any type of war gaming whether it's course of action analysis within the army's military decision making process or any other type of simulation you know there's you you have to have an understanding of what the process is what often happens uh and it doesn't matter if it's the army wargaming within co-analysis or you're participating sometimes in a simulation we oftentimes get hung up in the process and we lose we lose the vision we lose the understanding of what is it that we're trying to get to so an understanding of rules of process how it, how it goes is is sort of a, an initial step that you've got to complete whatever it is to make sure that everyone gets past the the understand phase and can, of of the system the process itself to get to the decision making and the outcome so you can really get focused on the end on the end product there um, to, mm-hmm. to go at your original part of your question, it is military met TC dependent. But uh, to use an example as an instructor, this past this past academic year that we just graduated here back in June, um, I I ran through the course of ten months four different types of simulations. Two were digital, two uh, were analog. All of them led to the same learning outcome, which is students had a better military decision process in their minds. They were making better choices uh, at the end than when they went into it. So it didn't matter what method I chose. Uh, all of led to the to the same part because they could visualize. They could see what, what the tangible results all were. And it just had to be a matter of getting them Trained and educated just enough to understand sort of the rules and the process that you go through there. So, you know, it's you really get into muscle memory. You know, once you learn to ride the bicycle, you generally always remember how to ride the bicycle, but getting through those little steps uh, is important.
0: You mentioned both digital and analog uh, wargaming systems. Each time you you did that, were those two different? Yes, analog and two different digital yeah. so, products. So, okay. for
1: this for this past academic academic year, um, did as an instructor and as a team leader, uh, four different four different simulations, two, uh, two digital, two analog. Uh, in the fall, uh, I offered for my section of students because uh, I'm a team leader, so I have twelve faculty, sixty-four students uh, across four staff groups. Um, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, uh, National Guard, Reserve, an interagency, uh, about eight uh, international students uh, amongst that full 64. Uh, When we're in our tactics, the Army tactics and doctrine block uh, back in October, uh, I offered uh, what we what I called a tactics lab. Uh, In the tactics lab, uh, we used uh, a game which i'm sure folks here on the blog may be familiar with called battle for moscow um very simple uh game to understand you know it's designed to be on a 11 by 17 uh size you know piece of paper uh relatively simple rules to understand and, and every time we did it before we're 30 minutes into sort of this the, the lab session Everybody understands the rules, and they're getting into it. Um, mm-hmm. The That game is just one of the things, again, available uh, that I go to as instructor to our uh, director to simulation education, the DSE. Uh, check it out for them. They sort of give me you know some good setup ideas and coach me. But we did five different sessions, and I averaged about six to seven students each time, and We rarely ever had any repeats of students. So, you know, from an instructor standpoint, it's a little bit of Groundhog Day because you're always introducing the same things. But uh, it's such a great way to introduce because as I would divide the groups up, I would give them different sets of planning guidances of, you know, I want you to focus Mm -hmm. on a flank attack. Uh, I want this group. I want you to focus on this type of defense. You know, I want you to defend along the linear obstacle. And then what that allows them to do is now they're seeing the things that they learned in class, as far as the doctrine of why we have to organize the forces the way that we do. Uh, And it just allows them to play that out. And, and they're seeing, uh, you know, the three components of good decision-making for the military. You know, you got to see the train, you got to see yourself, and you got to see the enemy Uh, that those three and that then diagram all, all connect. Um, As we moved into uh, the winter, uh, we worked with uh, our DSC and, and the contractors, and what our team was one of only five teams that used uh, the Dextrous uh, simulation, which is an army uh, program of record simulation. Uh, really, really robust in what it can do. Uh, the ability to, to just run multiple uh, activities simultaneously, back it up if you need to go forward mm-hmm. uh, very very robust uh, and we're trying to test that system use it in the school uh, evolving it from from our older legacy one but so we're both at the same time using it for education and at the same time we're making improvements to it for the army because uh, we're using it at, di- at the division level of war fighting uh, when we got to February March, we transitioned uh, to a new uh, analog board game uh, that uh, we developed uh, with the DSE, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Pat Shoff, uh as the lead uh, developer. Um, and again, focusing on the division level of war, uh, the game was that we developed was called Land Power. Uh, and again, it was analog, but analog on a scale of trying to to pit a U.S. division fighting against uh, an opposing core minus uh, that was that was attacking and setting things up in a manner that really, really, you know, a, a division, while it is a tactical entity, what we wanted to take the focus off of is the hex-to-hex fighting, which is always fun. Everyone wants to look, look there. But the deeper fight that the division would do to shape and set the conditions uh, for the subordinate brigades, so that they're not fighting in a three to one that by the time the brigade's in the fight, they're fighting in a a relative advantage, you know, five to one, six to one. And how did the division set and shape the conditions for that? Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that was a pilot uh, that only our team did. Uh, And really really neat and how that worked out and, and, and some of the learning things that we that we recognized uh, and then to end the year uh, I'm part of an elective team I'm the, the author uh, for an elective that we have only 68 volunteers that come into it each year this is our that we completed our fifth year uh, and we basically divide the students into they're among four classrooms team blue team red, uh, they will take about uh, eight, eight weeks to plan a very detailed uh, brigade-level plan, and then they will fight against an opposing classroom. So it is a live force-on-force. Force. Uh, we use a simulation called decisive action brigade level. Um, they fight each other out, put their plan in, have the fight. We end the fight, conduct an after-action review. Then we have them replan. And then they go fight again, and they're going to, and this time they fight a different classroom of students. So you can't say, well, this is what the guy did to me last time, okay. so we're going to do this. Because you don't know. The outcome is completely different. Uh, and every one of those that I just described uh, has its own streaks, its own weaknesses, of what it does and doesn't offer. Uh, but the one thing in common to all of them is they allow the user, the, the professional military officer, to be a better decision maker, which should make them a better commander, you know, staff officers, they go down the road once they graduate, because that's ultimately what we're trying to do is that anything that we do is making them a better, a better officer, which, you know, in parts makes us a better force uh, in the field.
0: Okay. Um, And Battle for Moscow, just to recap, that's from Victory Point Games, is that correct? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Yes, yes, it is. That that, that is okay. Bigger, yeah, I was just looking correct. on their
0: website, and uh, the designer is Frank Chadwick. And if you're into if you're into hex encounter uh, war games, you definitely know the well, name Frank Chadwick. That's for sure. So the, that's definitely got a
1: we, well. It, 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 go as ahead. you know, I think from, uh, we were talking about uh, Major Charlie Dietz earlier. So if you understood Battle for Moscow, and Charlie Charlie is one of our students this past year, did the tactics lab. Um, and then was with us as we did the piloting of the Land Power HEX-based game, Uh, what Lieutenant Colonel Shouf and the DSE folks did is they used that sort of basis of the basic rules that come out of Battle for Moscow and that sort of became the basis of how we started to develop the Land Power uh, uh, model that we did this year. Uh, But... So, yeah, I mean, so it's, it's a great introduction, uh, and I just finished uh, working with another faculty team um, with DSE uh, over the past two weeks, and they're, they're interested in using land power as an educational, and the way we got them into it was starting them off with Battle for Moscow because it's, yeah, very easy to learn the rules, very easy to adapt it uh, to what you want to do. Uh, And it's just on a size and scale. It's just, it's very, if you understand anything military, I mean, it's, it's so easy to pick up and, and go from there.
0: Okay. Um, I guess what we should do before we get too far along, we've mentioned command general staff college a couple times, and I guess what we should, what we should discuss is what exactly command and general staff college is.
1: Okay. Um, so to, to be accurate, to be accurate, um, I actually teach at the Command and General Staff School, which is a subordinate organization of the Command and Staff College. So the college um, consists of the school, which is what most everyone recognizes. That's where all the majors uh, who attend the resident course go at Fort Leavenworth. The college also includes the School of Command Preparation, which are Lieutenant colonels, colonels, uh, command sergeant majors all preparing to go into various command uh, billets, and then also the uh, the SAMS course uh, is is underneath uh, the college as well. But the school is synonymous with the college, and the two are somewhat used interchangeably. Uh, but for the active duty Army, uh, roughly speaking, fifty percent of a year group will attend the resident course at Fort Leavenworth. Uh, if they don't come to the resident course. Uh, We have satellite courses uh, located at Fort Lee, at uh, Redstone Arsenal, at Fort Gordon, Georgia, and at, not Redstone, sorry, not Redstone, uh, Fort Lee, Virginia, Fort Belvoir, Virginia, Fort Gordon, Georgia, and um, I guess it is Redstone's where the other one is. So, Um, and then there's another venue of our Justins Education, uh, which is headquartered here out of Fort Leavenworth. Uh, that works with uh, the task schools across uh, across the, the force, the active officers or, or reserve component uh, attending distant education as mm-hmm.
0: well. Yeah, and just to just to fill folks in that might be listening that don't know what TAS is, that's the Total Army School System. Uh, listeners who also listened to uh, the Battle Chat episode I did with Henry Hyde uh, learned that uh the way the, Ar- the U.S. Army does its schooling these days is whether you're National Guard, Reserve, or active duty, you go to schools that have the same standards of education and usually the same uh, program of instruction as well, regardless of your component. Absolutely, absolutely correct. So that's what total Army absolutely school correct. system means. Yeah. To my listeners who might be <laughs> wondering why we're getting down in the weeds uh, about the army education system, it's it's kind of it's kind of neat the way we do it. I think. But.
1: Yeah, and you you got yeah you got to have sorry you, you got to have you know the, the context of for the army for the army officer, which is what I can really speak about. Uh, you know, as a lieutenant, so zero t- years in the army, you're going to go through and get a an energy ed- education. Then, as a captain, so somewhere in your fourth or fifth year, you go again. And then, as a major, you're going to get it again, and that's generally around your 10th year of service. And what we say mm-hmm. at, at Command and General Staff School is for probably 80 to 85% of the students from the Army students that attend, this is the last formal education that you're going to get. And so, we're not educating you for the next one year, we're trying to educate you for the next 10 years of your career. So our course curriculum covers mm-hmm. joint operations, um, military history, military leadership, uh, our sustainment and logistics and resources uh, operations, uh, as well as Army army tactics, sort of the five departments there. So it's a very broad 10-month course for the resident that we're trying to put every quiver we can, uh, you know, or every arrow we can in your quiver – to get you armed and ready for the next 10 years because only a small group are going to get selected to attend the, War, the Army War College when they're colonels.
0: Right, and um, so it is a 10-month program. And is there a, how uh, do I don't want to put this? Is there any type of degree conferred with that, with graduation? And the students or, have the
1: option is uh, they go, uh, th- go through. Uh, some will choose to complete a master's in military art and science. Uh, that's an option for them. Uh, others cho- choose some different mm-hmm. master's programs from uh, several great uh, civilian education um, you know, colleges and universities that, that offer courses there in the evening. So it's really up to each student
0: what, what they want to achieve while they're there. So it, it's, it's a little bit more... Choose your own adventure, um. for lack of a better term, for the individual student, or or is it not? Maybe you mentioned an elective uh, group earlier. I, I'd imagine that there is a, a set poi, but within that within that program of instruction, the individual student has some leeway in in educational choices. It sounds like.
1: As much, as much leeway as you can imagine uh, the Army can provide. Uh, so yes, uh, the program instruction generally for the students uh, is for the resident course. We start in mid-August. By around the 1st of April, uh, we're wrapped up with the, the normal program of instruction. And in the months of April and May, really sort of the last eight to nine weeks of the course, uh, they are in elective period now, depending on what their branch of services bit be because you know, we have all, all five services counting the coast guard, send students here, um, what their branch specific is. So with, for an army officer, are they military intelligence? Uh, are they you know, a fill arts orderman? Some of those will have some specified things that they need to take based on what, what their branch uh, mm-hmm. leadership says. So they do have some flexibility that we have, uh, additional skill identifiers that students take certain set of lessons or classes gives them an additional skill identifier that they can put on their records as they want to go forward. The master's in military arts and sciences is one is the master's program offered by the the school itself. So that runs in parallel all year long. They have to write a pretty involved uh, paper at the end. Uh, You know, Oral comp, you know, with a committee and, and, and those those types of things. For the other civilian institutions, you know, that offer their degrees, a lot of those schools will give the students a credit for, you know, the grades that you earn in this part of our program and instruction counts as a credit over. So, you know, if you don't do well in your in your day school for the army, you're not going to do well in your night school for for your civil institution. So,
0: mm-hmm. they really
1: do have to to make that
0: balance. Now, day to day, they're not necessarily sitting in a classroom for eight hours, right? It's probably
1: no, no, much no, less no, not that. for eight hours. Uh, yeah, journal journal instruction day would be a four hour day. Uh, if we're in an exercise. Uh, day, or for me, or maybe if we have a guest speaker, then it's a six-hour instruction day. You know, for for the students, you know, uh, they'll do uh, organized group PT uh, physical training uh, in the mornings before class. Our class day kicks off at eight thirty. We're normally trying to wrap up, like I said, on a normal instruction day by around twelve thirty. Uh, if we've got a couple other you know things, or if we're in an exercise, then we'll take the day to about to about 15:30 or 3:30 in the afternoon um and really that that what we're trying to design as we do that is the readings the papers the homework the things that they have to do is to give them the out of time class to do that research to do the reading uh, to to develop that so we're trying to make sure that we uh, the amount of contact hours that they have in the classroom are, are equal to the amount of contact hours they have out of the classroom. That's available to them to 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 develop and and, and do the things they need uh, to expand where their educational model. There,
0: one of the ways that I found out about uh, about what you're doing is uh, Dr. James Sterrett, who is the uh, uh, chief of simulations and education, uh, kind of got me in touch with y'all mm-hmm. and he had, he had mentioned a uh, brown bag or lunch bag gaming series that y'all do in the spring. Right. Uh, I'd like to talk about that. Okay.
1: Uh, really to, to be honest, I'm just, a uh, when it comes to the brown bag, uh, that director, uh, director of simulation education puts it together. Uh, they mm-hmm. have this, you know, it's a normal classroom, except it's really cool because they're filled with some some really high powered computers, and then a whole wall of if you could name a game, it's probably sitting back there on a wall that you can check out. Um, mm-hmm. But they'll choose a variety, you know, each week or each every other week, you know, sort of depending on how they lay out the schedule. Um, and it's open to faculty. It's open to students. You'll see some students and faculty. They'll bring some of their older kids there and everybody sort of show up at a time make sure you got a basic understanding or if you have no understanding you you know hey i i don't i don't understand any of this i just sort of want to watch fine you know uh you can do that so the topics will range in the game options that they put out there from as ancient as can be to uh to modern um that's available Uh, what you'll see You know, what I mentioned earlier of our Master's of Military Arts and Sciences, uh, this past year, uh, they actually started for the first time, uh, Master of Military Arts and Science, but with an emphasis on simulation, uh, on gaming. So towards in the spring, several of those sessions uh, were opportunities for students and faculty to come in and sort of hear the pitch uh, from these students that were doing these simulation uh, MMAS uh, papers and, and the games that they had to develop with them and sort of doing some play testing and ask them questions and clarification. Uh, but really, you know, Dr. Starrett, uh and uh, Mr. Lester, uh, those are the folks to ask to really get the more detail of, about that program. But just one of the neat aspects of how sort of the brown bag and the MMAS education sort of merged together at a couple points in time this past year.
0: Now, for the most part, it sounds like you're using brigade and division level uh, tools, and by that, the command level represented mm-hmm. is is at the division and brigade. Now, the individual players they'll take various staff positions within that within that command. Totally
1: depends on which which type of simulation that you're talking. But certainly, as a, as a school, uh, basically the division is really our central focus now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When, when for, for your listeners who are familiar with with military terms and stuff, what we'll talk about is when you do your analysis, you have to do two levels down. So you analyze two levels down, you task one level down. So if you're a division, you really have to do your analysis down to the battalion level. And then when you write out the mm-hmm. tasks in your order, you're going to task them one level down to the brigade. So that is really the span that we have. So yes, as a user of the simulations and as an educator, that's the range that I'll have. Now, whether we have someone in the role as a commander or if we have someone in the role of the staff is totally the scope of what exercise and where we are in the program of instruction. Uh, If we're running an exercise that is designed to really show it's a whole division staff, um, is what we did when we used Dexters this past year, then yes, we had Roughly 32 students organized in a division staff up to the role of division chief of staff and all their primaries uh, and and assistants. Then we had roughly, uh, I think, close to 16 subordinate commanders in roles as an armor brigade combat team, or the combat aviation brigade, or the sustainment brigade, and then. The remaining students were working in exercise control, uh, or working as what we call the higher command—you know, the higher control, so the core headquarters or adjacent units on the side. So that's sort of the, on the one end okay. of the scale. On on the other end of the scale is, hey, is as I go into my uh, my electives uh, for for our decisive action brigade level uh, simulation that we use this is only eight people representing an entire brigade. Uh, So they are the staff, they are the commander and they are the subordinate units all at once. And they need to sort that out themselves. So there's, you're not really specifying you're going to be in this role. You sort of let them figure that out for themselves.
0: Now, typically will, uh, for example, if you've got an intelligence officer, will he normally slot into the role of, of the intelligence staff or do you try to cross pollinate? So maybe, uh, a logistics person might be your intel guy and if you've got a, a adjutant general corps basically an administrative person will they be in logistics for example or you try to keep people on track with with their professional so the classic
1: army answer is it depends so it, okay uh <laughs> so, somewhat jokingly um Two or three things are going to go into that. I can't give you, there's no There's no one answer. Where are we in the course of the year? Are we at the right. beginning of the year? Or are we at the end of the year? Are we doing an exercise or using a sim? Uh, doing anything educationally? Is it inside that staff group of 16 students? Or have we combined it with another classroom? And now we have 32 students or four classrooms. We've got 64 and that. <laughs> All those facets go in there, right? Primarily, we're gonna we're almost always gonna start an officer out in their basic branch, uh, as a general rule of thumb. Uh, We need to help them. We need to assess them and help them self-assess. Where are they in their professional military skills of what it is that the army says, or or the whatever their service says? This is what you need to be able to do. this year progresses it mm-hmm. we'll start to move folks around. Uh, some folks, you know, we may have a student stay in their branch simply because they're the only one of those that we have. Um, and so if we need, you know, if we need a judge, advocate general, an army lawyer, you know, for three exercises in a row, and we only have one, that's sort of what that student needs to do, if, if that's playing a central role, you know, of how we're developing that. Uh, but just like everything else, you know, sometimes, you know, you get better sometimes by, you know, you don't play one sport. You play three three or four sports and all those different skills and, and, and abilities sort of blend themselves together. So we, we will absolutely mix people up when it makes sense. Uh, but it's got to make sense for both that officer and for the whole group that that they're with. And, you know, we just uh, it's it's I can't tell you there's any one way that you're ever you're ever going to see it. Uh, we also recognize both students and faculty that there's a burnout factor that um, I may not be getting the most out of you at this point. So let's put you into someplace else and give you different different perspective.
0: That that type of thing is or that type of experience is something i i'd like to have myself unfortunately as an nco you know i'll never (laughs) i'll never be going to cgsc but um right or cgss depending on how you want to sure whichever acronym you want you want to use um now i'm my for my professional development i'm looking at uh battle staff nco course next uh i think you've got that there at leavenworth
1: right i i think i I don't know if it's offered. It's not. It's not part of our curriculum at, at CGSS. But uh, there's so many different educational offices uh, and entities across across the post. It's hard to tell you for sure.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Um. Another one. Uh. Because we've got a, a digital liaison detachment here in Illinois, mm-hmm. and uh. So yeah, the the battle staff NCO is going to be crucial. Well, it's actually mandatory in that for the, for the enlisted slots at the, in the DLD. And uh, now you've also got uh, uh, red cell training there at Leavenworth. Yes.
1: The, red team. The, uh, red, just, the red team course. That's correct.
0: Yeah. Red team. Uh, real briefly, what, what can you tell me about red team?
1: Great reputation, great instructors. I've had multiple students take it through in the course of the past, Six years that I that I've been been uh, with the school, always favorable feedback. Uh, what they have, uh, there's a great they've got a great uh, publication that if you're in the army you can you can download it, uh, the Red Team uh, Red Team Leaders Handbook. I think is is the title. Google it and look it up. It's got a lot of just great techniques, uh, just how to do anything, not just military operations, but how to think through things critically, look at things from a different. Sh- Perspective, fight, uh, fight cognitive bias, and how, how to minimize that. Um, but I can't really take you into course detail. Um, again, I sort of want to stay inside my lane. It's not something that that, that I that I teach or, or do a lot do a lot with. But it has a phenomenal reputation amongst the students that that have taken the course uh, from both the fact the faculty, what they provide, and then the course content.
0: Now, is that something that? your students are able to participate in, or is that a...
1: Absolutely. When they go to their electives, okay. uh, th- we have what we call the short course and the, and the long course. It's just a matter of how many weeks and uh, meetings that, that it is. It's the only difference between the two. Um, and so that that is something that they do. And if uh, they sign up for it they and they apply and they get accepted into it, then... Uh, they have the potential of earning an additional skill identifier that identifies them as a red team. Uh, red team leader, uh, I think is what goes on their on their uh, transcript.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Um, a red team leader course goes on the transcript.
0: Right. Right. All right. Getting back to actually using uh, war games in your in your instruction are there have you found any instances where doctrinally speaking or historically speaking maybe the rules kind of glossed over some things or aspects that you wanted to focus on and if so were you able to rectify that or do you just find a different product that does that does exactly what you want
1: so i think any almost any simulation that you're ever going to find in my opinion is is going to at some place do something magical and, and to make several nauseating details just become poof, you know, make them happen.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I think that's something inherent that every every game designer has to look at. Of what things do you do you want to to do that? When you're running a digital simulation, you don't see how the output was computed you just you mm-hmm. see the output when you do an analog because you're having to you know, use like a combat results table roll of dice uh you're having to count things up and okay is you know how many different variations of this well hey if you're attacking the rear of the hex it's this if you're on this flank it's you know well you have to do this computation itself so two arguments there. Okay, one, it's, it bogs you down, or the other one is, well, now you're understanding how this all, all relates. What we found this year when we did, when we developed LandPower, uh, we had two classrooms of students that voluntarily wanted, they used it a second week, okay, beyond the pilot week that we used it. And there's where sort of the magic happened was because those students all had their base understanding they all had the same equal understanding of this is the these were the rules and this is how the rules were and designed to be implemented and they didn't like certain things uh, they wanted mm-hmm. more fidelity for example in the sustainment well then they made their own modifications to the rules to add to add the the complexity of flavor that they wanted well from an educational standpoint that's you know that's touchdown that's that's great because they've taken ownership of their own learning, uh, and because they mm-hmm. all had the same level of understanding, it doesn't matter that they change it because they it, it, it's all starting you know from the same point, and they all had that same common understanding. They make more complexity of the rules, well they can keep adding to that you know to a point because each each episode is building on the previous. There's where I think your real challenge comes in of you going back to, you know, for me uh, as an instructor, as a team leader, going down to to our director of simulation education and saying, here's what I am trying to do in my classroom. Here's my learning outcomes. Here's what I want to try to stress to my students. What's the right tool? And well, Right. you got I got an analog choice and I got a digital choice for you okay so take take both of them let's take them out for a spin a test drive you know so to speak which one you get do you get do you think' you're getting the most out of you know obviously you know great thing about digital is it's generally got a lot more capacity to do more things simultaneously comes with the downside that right. if the network goes down or, or the computer dies, so does your sim, uh, analog. You know, right. each of them have their own complexities and things to it, and each have their own drawbacks. Uh, you just gotta decide. You know what's what's comfortable for, for you. I mean, if you're if you're, I'm sure for any of you, of your listeners, you know, they all have certain games that they really like for whatever those reasons is or are, and you know, part of that is just. The feel that you get from that game itself of hey i i like the way that it models this that really connects with me and and i get a lot of enjoyment out of it
0: oh absolutely yeah i mean we've i've had discussions on on this show in the past certainly about games that do x right and maybe they don't do y so well but i really like the way it does x so i put up sure how it does y sure
1: i mean we've got an entire professional sport you know that has half of with a designated hitter and the other half without it. So, you know, you, you're watching (laughs) baseball. It's a common game, right? But I mean, it's, there's completely different strategies, you know, depending on which league you're in, are you playing in national rules or American league rules? And, um, I don't know that either one of them is, you know, is better. I live in Kansas city, so I'm sort of partial to the designated hitter in the American league way. Um, you know that's a preference. Uh, you know that that you you can yeah. develop that. So uh, I think that's the same thing with with any other game. For
0: for the record, I am a Cardinals fan, and by extension, okay. a National League fan. I do think that the designated hitter is anathema and is a and is a bane on <laughs> on human existence.
1: Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I I. Uh... <laughs> I just like that. Uh, I don't have to watch a pitcher try to figure out how to hit. It's just it's horrible to watch. It's it's it's, it's not it's not natural.
0: But it's so much fun you when you actually I actually You know,
1: we're going way off topic, but you know, it's it's totally fun to watch it, like the College okay. World Series. You know, where and I think it's really what happens. You know, when you get the major leagues, of hey, you're being developed to do this one thing. Whereas when you're still at the college level, mm-hmm. it's I need you to be able to do all of it, you know, and, and so a little bit, a little bit different there, right?
0: So. Absolutely, yeah, um, yeah. This unfortunately, this is not the veteran baseball fan. So we'll <laughs> moving swiftly yes, on.
1: Yes, S- sorry, I'm uh, sorry to all of to all listeners that I've taken us off topic. No,
0: that's that's quite all right. We're we're quite used to going off topic on this show. It's. <laughs> Some would say it's a hallmark of, of sorts. <laughs> okay. So now I would, I would definitely say that one of the down, one of the downfalls or downsides to a digital product though, is if you want to make changes, it's, it's a little bit more difficult than, than with an analog simulation for sure. Uh,
1: I I think that is yeah. an understatement. Um, uh, you know, there's licensing issues. There's, you know, do you own, do you outright own it? Are you allowed to make changes? Um, It's, you know, and that's something that, you know, for, again, I'm more of a Mm -hmm. consumer of it uh, from where we are of, I don't think that we, what I see as far as, you know, particularly the the Army Programmer Record Dexter's, for example, it's not like it's, an open game source where you know people can post their own beta version, and yeah, you can I download know. it and tweak on it and stuff. It's you know proprietary information, but yes, you're absolutely right, and that can be highly frustrating mm-hmm. at times. Um, trying to get something to work right. uh, just the way that you want it. Yeah, and and particularly you know the other side to that too is how often are you right. using it. So if you're if you're pulling out whatever it is, and you pull that out once a year when it's that particular block of instruction, if if it has kept having series of updates, you know, for the past year that you know they've pushed two patches, um, you know, now you're up to version four point nine. Okay, well, now you've got to go reinvest. Okay, what's changed? Because sometimes there's subtle changes, and sometimes there's like whole oh, the whole user interface is completely different. Right. Uh, so yes, it, it it absolutely something that you have to factor in is is your train up cost,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that's both on just a on a student and a faculty side.
0: Right. Now, and I can I can definitely see there being advantages advantages to either because I mean, like you said earlier, the the capacity. Uh, for the simulation is just so much greater with a digital product that would just be an onerous amount of work and time to replicate with a with an analog system. So I, I get it. Now my personal preference for hobby gaming is to the analog because you can change it uh, if if there's something mm-hmm. that doesn't quite uh, trip your trigger, but uh, Professionally speaking, I can definitely see the value of of either. So.
1: Well, you know, so one of the things I find interesting you know, on the sort of the hobby side of having you know, done some of our um, Brown Bay lunch uh, board game sessions uh, hosted by Dr. Stewart and, uh, and crew is uh, what I'll jokingly refer to as the human calculator of, you know, I've watched, you know, Dr. Ste himself or, or others that that do play lots of board type games and it's a second nature to them of they're calculating all these different odds and, and, and they're seeing all that so they're, they're so connected to almost the process that's below the process below the process if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And it bl- blows my mind of like, hey, I just, here's what I want to do. I want this unit to go do that with that right. guy. Now, how do I get him there? What's the best way of doing that? You know, um, and that's where, you know, I, I, I think um, you almost, uh, from sort of a high level of the nice thing about how we've set up. Uh, really they DS DSC have set things up uh, for the, for the Brown bake sessions is you can come in at any level and they'll sort of get you set in the right, in the right, mm-hmm. the, the right place. And, um, I think that can be somewhat intimidating if you're trying to get into sort of a hobbyist, um, gaming of how do you, how do you get in and feel comfortable right off the bat? If you're, you're trying to learn all this, uh, or if you're like me, you know, uh, product of, uh, Public education, and I try to make it
0: a habit of never doing math in public. a little <laughs> challenging. Yeah, there's there's a there's a term in there's a term I've heard in, on the hobby side of of gaming called uh, rules transparency, mm-hmm. where you get so practiced with how a particular game system works that you don't even think about the rules. You just know what you need to do to to get the desired effect
1: right right
0: and and i think that's that's probably you know similar to what you're talking about and keep in mind i mean you know a lot of the hex and hex encounter and type war games have if not the exact same mechanisms similar enough that it's just a matter of finding out where it's tweaked and then you can go from there
1: right right and then you know and you sort of can get in the great debates on, you know, things of, you know, well, I think, you know, I think what he did was completely gamey, you know, well, you know, it was within the rules, you know, and, and you know, to take an example, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Schof and I uh, were playing uh, Dr. Starrett uh, and another of his colleagues, uh, Mr. Mike Dunn, a um, couple Winter breaks go. Uh, we're doing a Korea 1950 uh, game, and I can't remember the name of the game. So my apologies. Uh, but a mm-hmm. hex-based counter uh, type game. Um, and he landed. He Dr. Stewart was was the U.N. Uh, U.S. side, and they landed and did an amphibious landing like up up at Ponyang, you know, near Ponyang, and cut cut the lock, you know, from the North Korean capital. I mean, just game was over. I mean, no force that could possibly react far enough because he understood the game rules. So, well, it wasn't gamey because it was completely all within the rules of of the game. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, our great argument afterwards was, you know, but Carter like, hardly ever, you know, he fought tooth and nail just to get the permission to land at Incheon. I don't think that he was going to get the political approval to land a core, you know, 25, you know, 30 kilometers away from the North Korean capital. I mean, you're sort of kind of inviting Chinese intervention uh, right, right, right off the bat. <laughs> uh, but, you know, so it, was, you know, it leads to a great debate, you know, but the, the oh, sure. gosh, I wish I could remember the name of that game. Um neat thing about it was you sort of recognize that and it was so well modeled is you know for the north koreans the success that they had in june 1950 lots and lots of things broke just the right way for them uh, because you know right. we would try to we net we get nowhere close and we we played pretty aggressively uh, and, again, the game modeled very, very well. It was very realistic uh, in its losses and how it did things. But it's just like, you know, that's to me, in depending on, you know, on how, how a your digital sim works versus your analog, can I back up? You know, what's the time parameters I'm running? You know, the great thing about an analog to me is, you know, well, you just got lucky. That's a roll of dice. Really? Okay. Well, let's roll it nine more times and let's see. And if nine Mm -hmm. times out of 10, the same result happens, well, this is part of the plan. It's not just that one off, you know, versus, well, Hey, we roll the dice and, you know, we got four of these outcomes and three of these. Okay. Well now you understand there, what the role of chance has uh, in there and you can, you can figure those things out. So uh, I, probably personally prefer more of a hexed, hex uh, counter uh, type game just because I think it's a little more adaptable, which is what you alluded to earlier. Uh, both sides sort of agree. Mm-hmm. This rule changes, okay, well, then we're all in agreement. We, we can go forward from there. But it also allows, I think, sure. that just that what-if question, you can come to that solution a lot faster sometimes uh, than you can digitally. But there's lots of, you know, other digital games that you could do that. Just have to go back and reload the turn and, and see, but don't know how many other variables change. You got to look at that also.
0: All right. Well, I, I think that's a, that's a good place to, to end our discussion. Any, any last thoughts on, on what you do and how you do it or. I just,
1: you know, last thought I'd say is uh, uh, whoever your listeners are, um, they should be really, really happy with uh the quality of officers uh, that, that are the students here at Fort Leavenworth at the command and general staff school. Uh, we select uh, through, through a board process to get them here, and that board pretty much selects uh, almost the, the very best. We, we send a few of the very, very bestest, uh, jokingly, uh, off to some of the other schools, but uh, they should be really happy and confident. and and the quality of the student officer that they have and, and feel confident about uh, what they are when they go back out to the force. Uh, they're, they're really a great, a great cohort. Um, I get my energy every day from interacting with them and uh, can't really wait here till about the middle of August when we get cranked up again and uh, meet a whole new group of students. And just want to say also, uh, Jay, thanks for the opportunity. And uh, uh, I've learned now that I've got a new, uh, i got a new place to go listen uh, about things at the Veteran Gamer.
0: Oh, well, thank you very much indeed. Um, Shane, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I really enjoyed the discussion. I've really been looking forward to the discussion. I think I, I started going down the path of getting someone from CGSC to come on the show back in April, so really happy that it worked out. And uh, Now, I will be in the Kansas City area at the end of September for the Recruits Game Convention. Uh, down in Lee Summit, I'll uh, send you some some an email on that closer to the time. Maybe we could meet down there. I'd really enjoy that.
1: Okay, look forward to it, Jay.
0: All right, and as always, if the wargaming you're having isn't any fun, you make it fun. That is all. The veteran wargamer. Copyright Jay Arnold, 2018. Be sure to leave a positive review on iTunes. If you'd like to join the discussion, head to the blog at. The veteran Music courtesy of Bensound.com.